So I think the need to do more than just deliver a good product at a fair price has been growing. Getting into this area of social responsibility and being good citizens is new. And it's also really hard to do because it's not something you can say one day and not change. You can't change it the next day and it's really hard to, again, execute. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. Over the past year, we've seen our fair share of brands revisit and refresh their branding. For some, it was as simple as a logo update. For others, it was completely overhauling their brand colors or even their product packaging, their website experience. Honestly, brand plays into so many different touch points and tactics, so I really wanted to understand how branding as a business priority, as a way to communicate and engage with consumer has changed over the past year. That's why I brought in Alan Adamson, who is co-founder and managing partner of Metaforce, and who is also an adjunct professor at NYU Stern. He's an all-around brand and marketing expert. So I wanted to get into the nitty-gritty details of, one, how the essence of good branding has changed over the past year, two, how brand is impacted or influenced by outside issues such as social and environmental causes, and three, what actions and measures executive teams should take in order to ensure that they're putting their best brand foot forward. So even if branding isn't at the top of your priority list, Alan makes a pretty strong case for why you may want to change your mind on that. Listen in and you'll see what I mean. Alan, thanks so much for being on the show. It's great to have you here. Thanks for inviting me. Pleasure to be here. So you are a man of many professions, many backgrounds. So you are the co-founder and managing partner of Metaforce. You're an author, adjunct professor at NYU Stern, and all-around brand and marketing expert. That's why I'm so excited to have you here. I think um, we, should end the end of, we should end it now. It's all downhill from here. <laughs> so I, I want to ask you at, at a high level, because there's so much going on, I feel like the way you answer this question will, will probably be a foundational starting point for the things that we talk about later on. But what kind of work have you been doing with Metaphors as of late? What projects have been most exciting or invigorating for you right now? So much has changed in the past year that what's been most interesting is that even though you think you know how to do marketing and branding, what you knew how to do marketing and branding was for a world that was moving at a fast or increasingly fast, but not disrupted pace like we have got now. So it's sort of like starting over again because uh, so many things have changed. Yeah. For sure. And it's interesting you say that because I know one of the main things that we've been talking about in marketing for years now is that you have to be willing to pivot, to adapt. And we're going to be digging into some examples of brands that have been doing that very well later on. But I do want to ask you about, you know, just kind of your day-to-day work. A lot of it includes reading about, analyzing, and, and commentating on what's happening in the brand and marketing space. 
what do you love most about this world that you're immersed in? You talked about earlier how, you know, it's constantly changing. I'm sure that's what keeps it exciting for you, but what else? Yeah, one of the things I like most about it is um, it's not like you can add up the numbers and say, well, here are the four facts. We're going to add two more facts, and there's the answer. Most of the types of challenges we face are what I'll call nonlinear problems. You can look at all the facts but if you go to that same conclusion, it may not be valid. It's sort of more like the movie business, where you could have the same cast and a great writer, and the movie could still bomb. <laughs> so it is this challenge of looking at what's going on now and trying to develop a solution that's right for this product, this company, this service now. And it's I could work on three insurance companies in a row, but the solution is going to be completely different each time or three vodkas or so that's what i most like about the business is that past success doesn't guarantee future success you just can't oh let's just do what we did last year and we'll add a little top spin and everything will be fine marketing today is not a, like that it's sort of looking at your challenge and saying how do we solve this and we can't copy everyone else and we can't do what we did last year so what do we do yeah that's a really good point. And also relates to, you know, what that target consumer needs. And depending on the brand, there may be some variance there. So there are definitely several layers into that decision-making process, that, that those strategy discussions, right, and ultimately what the right approach is, which, which kind of ties to my next question, I think, because, you know, it's based on the research that, that we've been doing and the conversations that we've been having, not just with analysts and strategists, but actual brand executives and the practitioners in retail and, and consumer brand organizations is that given the current climate, you know, a lot of volatility happening, a lot of shifts in consumer behaviors, it's almost like a lot of companies are trying to get back to the fundamentals in a way. And by that, I mean, zeroing in on their brand identity, their mission statement, their values, because that's, I guess, that's sort of something that they can control, right? Like everything around them is kind of changing, but a lot of the work depends on like what is true to the business itself. I would love your your take on that focus on the foundational elements that that impact branding and brand marketing. And if you're seeing that kind of emphasis as well. Yeah, I, I would just overlay one thing before we jump into that, which is a really great point is, is that we're seeing just before this was this notion that you know, the average was over. There used to be a lot of we'll do this, we'll do this, we'll check the box. You know, there wasn't there wasn't a feeling that you had to pick your battles. But now what's really true is that if you just do five things averagely, it's always been true, but now more than ever, you'll be invisible. So you really got to pick a few things that you can execute really well. And as you said, often that is making sure that you know what you stand for, you know who your customers are, and you are just focused on a few things and do you're better off doing a few things extraordinarily well than trying to do many things averagely. And that's especially true in times of rapid change, because if you spread yourself too thin, you won't get the basics right and you won't <laughs> you won't catch the next wave. I once spoke to the uh senior executive at LVMH uh, a couple of years back. And they do a lot of fashion marketing and fashion, luxury advertising and brand building. And, and the, you know, fashion and luxury business moves pretty quick. And he said, you know, running a business like this is like surfing. If you're too far ahead of the trend, you're going to get wiped out. 
But if you're too far behind the train, sort of thinking about things and just agonizing over what to do, you'll miss the wave. And so with the waves hitting the beach faster now, if we could play that uh, analog a bit more, you, you better be sure that your timing is right and do a few things really well. And one of them, as you just said, was authenticity matters more than ever. Younger consumers want to know who they're doing business with. And so if you don't have your core who you are and why you're doing something clear and you're not expressing it clearly to your customers, don't bother doing influencer marketing or 12 other types of activation because it just won't stick. Interesting. I really like that metaphor of like if you're too far ahead of the wave, you're going to crash. If you're too far behind it, you know, that's not right either. But I do want to drill a bit deeper into that because I know in the retail world, there's this emphasis on innovating. And sometimes that means being the first to market or taking a risk when everyone else is maybe a few steps behind. And that's seen as, as a competitive advantage. I mean, granted, that that's largely through the lens of technologies or, or services, not so much brand and brand and marketing. But I mean, what's that line between, I guess, when you're about to crash or ride that wave perfectly, so to speak? Yeah, I, I think part of the reasons most companies fail to shift ahead and keep up is because they spend too long agonizing and they don't get out and try things. But the other reason they wipe out when the wave hits is because they're not just executing it really well. So I don't think it's a question of not moving fast enough from any retailer, because I think it is, you, know, you can move fast and still not get it right. I, I think success today is doing a few things really well. And just constantly trying to keep up with what's happening next door is important, but doesn't necessarily win the day. Yeah. And I think that's a really important distinction, Alan, because it is really easy to just copy and paste a certain approach because someone in your category has done it and it's worked well for them, or you're just trying to get your brand out there to as many people as possible. It seems like the brands that are really rising to the top are the ones that are able to find their little niche or the watering holes where their consumers are. And they have that really stellar brand positioning. They know how to reach them in the best way possible. They have something special about their brand essence. I mean, Elf Cosmetics is always one that comes to mind for me because obviously it's a very competitive category. There are a lot of brands out there, but they have a way of knowing who their customer is, reaching them, in these niche communities, whether it be TikTok or, you know, they're, they're on Twitch now even, and they're doing really fun things that help them stand out. So I really love that you keep bringing up that it's not about doing everything mediocrely just to say you check the box. It's, you know, prioritizing and, and being able to marry the tactics to what your consumers want and, and what makes your brand distinct from everything else. Yeah, the other overlay is tied, sort of tied to that, is that we haven't talked much about this in marketing, but the importance of word of mouth or word of eye or what's going on on TikTok, word of video, <laughs> you know, is, is growing. And it, it, everyone everyone talks about, well, how do I get social media buzz or how do, how do I get word of mouth? And the strategy is really easy. No one shares ordinary things. You, you take a flight to LA and it arrives on time back in the day. <laughs> you don't get online and say, I took a flight to LA and arrived on time. If the flight 
arrived on time and something extraordinary happened and they had a limo waiting for you to take you to your next appointment or or if the pilot got lost and ended up in Cleveland instead of LA, you would certainly write about it. But ordinary things don't get you to comment on social media or comment to anybody. So for a brand to break through today, they have to you know do a few things right. I, I was just at the... Uh, Apple Store for the first time in a long time because I needed to go to the Genius Bar. And despite the pandemic, they were still doing it right. They called me in advance to make sure that they couldn't help me on the phone before I came down and came to the store. When I got there, they sat me at a table by myself. They brought the products to me. They they were doing what they've always done, but they've adapted and continued to execute really well. So it's not so much the quality of the screen or the battery or the number of uh, the technology of the products. It's the experience that is created is driving more differentiation than ever. And delivering that experience is easy to say, but really hard to do. Yeah, for sure. I do want to go back to your book, Shift Ahead, because it's been out for a, a little bit, but I think the underlying message and intent behind it is more relevant than ever, right? It's all around how companies across industries have tackled disruption and their pointed methods for adapting to ever-changing market conditions. Obviously, has always been relevant, at least as far as I have been covering business and, and marketing, but especially now, because there are still so many factors that are constantly evolving. There are ebbs and flows at the global scale, the local level. And, you know, in retail especially, everyone's just trying to not find their footing, but also figure out an appropriate path forward for their business, right? That that can allow them to remain agile. So I would love for you to kind of pause and, and take a step back at, at the book itself and what has remained relevant and maybe what new things have been uncovered in, in these current times that we're in. Yeah, you know, we wrote the book a couple of years back because we saw the world or the pace of change accelerating and more and more marketers falling into the uh, brand graveyard or going out of business every day. You opened the journal and some other iconic brand was disappearing. And we said, gee, why, you know, well, these are all smart people. Why didn't they see the train coming? Didn't they, <laughs> didn't they see the tide coming in? And the answer is most of the time, they see it, but they don't really believe, oh, this too shall pass, and it won't really impact me, or this worked in the past, I, you know, it hasn't let me down. And even at the beginning of the pandemic, there were many marketers who said, oh, we'll just, we'll just hibernate and we'll wait for everything to return back to normal. But in the, after any disruption or after any technological change, things do moderate, things do mitigate, but they don't always go back to where they were. So the first step is to realize that we are creatures of habit. We're more comfortable doing what we did yesterday than today. I, in the book, I talked about the old show, Frasier, where Frasier's dad sat in that old chair. Realize that we, we go in, we, we look at emails, we open up some texts. We, we are creatures of habit, so we're not really great at change. And if you realize that you don't like change and you like, you, you like to do what you did yesterday, you're going to be more aware of the need to change than if you're not aware that this is an inherent weakness. You know, one of the other things we found 
because when things change, people tend to do the other thing. You know, use a sports analog. You know, when I uh, it's sort of the difference in golf and tennis. I play both badly, but in tennis, if I'm trying to play that less badly, you know, the, <laughs> you try to hit where the person's not. So you're really focused on your competitor. And you're really just focused on where to hit the ball where they're not. And most business is like that. I, I worked with uh, P&G for many years, and when they were having trouble in the razor business, they were worried about Schick, but they they weren't worried about Dollar Shave Club. I was at Unilever for a long time, and we'd sit in the lunchroom and talk about Colgate or Proctor. I worked with Pepsi. They talked about Coke. But none of these big companies are often disrupted by their competition, yet they are incredibly fixated on what their competition is doing. The dry cleaner on Main Street is looking at the dry cleaner on Oak Street. You know, they're not zooming out enough. And so one way to be ready for change and one way to see change coming is to zoom out a bit and to try to not just look what's happening right in front of you, but look what's happening to your sides or behind you. And this is really true in retailing. You know, Macy's will do what Bloomingdale does, or Target will do what Walmart does. But change doesn't happen in a linear fashion. And so part of being successful in anything is to get enough early warning that you can try to pivot. Because if you wait for sales to fall or wait for all your competitors to be doing it, it's unlikely you'll do it better. <laughs> and being late in the game typically doesn't win the day. Absolutely. And we saw a lot of retailers pivot in the moment, largely out of necessity, right, to keep businesses moving. A lot of that was within essential retailers, but we did see some non-essential retailers to rise to the occasion, try to adapt, offer new services, really bolster their digital experiences, which which is great. But I mean, to your points around positioning specifically, obviously the, the services and experiences you create play a big role in that. I'm wondering if because we saw so much change happening in the heart of lockdowns and we saw businesses make these really big moves, again, out of necessity, do you believe that this will have a long-term impact on what makes a strong brand or competitive positioning? I guess I'm looking at it through the lens of retail has always been an industry of, let's face it, sometimes red tape, right? It takes a lot of time, a lot of stakeholders to make a decision. The best intentions to innovate sometimes are slowed or thrown off the rails. But Again, we, we saw a lot of moves, right? So I feel like the benchmark has changed a little bit. But again, I would love your perspective. And if you think the principles of great brands or great brand positioning have changed as a result. Yeah, I you know I think everyone's talked about this. Retail used to be mostly about getting the right products to the stores so you could go pick them up. <laughs> and the main thing for retailers was to have what you needed where you needed it and perhaps have it at a good price for most retailers. But now that distribution is a click away on many channels, whether it's Best Buy or Amazon or, or Bonobos, but I go back to what I just talked about. You know, retailers need to think of themselves not in the distribution business, not in the merchandising, but in the experience business. And what, what are you going to do to create an experience that when somebody comes there, they're going to come again. They're going to tell a friend because the gravitational pull of it's so easy to double click and 
like most people during the pandemic, you know, the main skill I got better at was breaking down and repacking boxes. Uh, I could have taken a major position at a warehouse or a shipping company after this. But once people get used to the convenience of digital in a whole bunch of categories they never used before, they're not going to come back. You've got to give them a reason to go back beyond on sale, good price, uh, good selection. And that's going to be an experience. And Getting that experience right is hard, but I think part of it is going to be having people at the store, A, trained to provide that experience, which is for many retailers difficult, or B, empowered to be flexible enough to to surprise you, to do things that you didn't expect other than then handing you the bag and taking your credit card. That's fantastic, Alan. So I do want to level up a little bit when we talk about brands too, because the experience is so important when you go to the store, the interactions you have, that feeling you have, it's very important. But there's also the role of the the more creative elements, I guess you could say, of the brand experience. There's the recognition of logos, color palettes, content itself. I'm coming across more and more brands, it feels like, that have a very strong content voice. And it's not just marketing taglines. It's a little bit bigger. It's a, it's a little more driven by community, um, about leadership, guidance. And I do want to dig into this because I feel like over this past year, we, we did see a lot of brands really double down on adapting their brands to current social norms or social priorities. And that means that like doubling down on environmental issues, political issues. I know I was researching for our conversation. You've you've commentated on Ben and Jerry's, Burger King, Mr. Potato Head. So you really have your finger on the pulse, so to speak, of a lot of these shifts in brand positioning and how they're aligning to brand responsibility, um, social responsibility. Do you think that this is going to play a more central role in conversations around brand positioning and brand strategy? Yeah. So as I was talking earlier about the need to zoom out a bit and what's been happening over the past 10 years is the difference between one brand or one product in the other, one coffee in the next, one cell phone in the next, is that differences from a product base have been decreasing. And it's really hard to choose between one car and another car. They all have the same coffee cup holder and the same brake assist. And so in a world where differences between products are shrinking and younger consumers are entering the market who can not only see the difference between product shrinking, but see what else the company is doing, how they're behaving, who they're hiring, how they're behaving as citizens. And so if you if the differences shrink, consumers, particularly younger ones, are going to want to reach out and buy brands that think like they do, that take stands on social issues that they agree with. Lots of change has happened in, in the country, not so much only now based on government policies, but how companies are behaving. And so it is important to zoom out if you're a company beyond just are we offering the best tasting coffee at the best price, but you know, what are we doing when we grow the beans, when we ship the beans, who are we hiring? How are we treating them? How are we handling recycling? Because those issues are, tra everyone sees everything. 
are more transparent. It's not anymore you have to read the back of a package. Anyone can double click and find out what's going on with the company. And consumers today want to know that if they're spending $3 on a coffee or more on a cell phone or more on a car, that company is values are aligned with theirs. They're doing the right things. And it used to be certain brands were badge brands, like beers and cars. So say, I, I drive this car, I drink this beer, and it said something about you because it was hard to taste the difference between one beer and another. And it was sometimes hard to tell the difference between one car driving and the next car. But I think more and more band, brands are becoming badge brands. So it's not only a question of what spirits or vodka or beer you drink, but lots of categories where you shop, what shoes you wear, what toothpaste you buy. So I think this trend is here. Now, what makes it tricky is consumers are getting more sophisticated. You just can't smoke and mirror it. You know, if you're going to, it gets back to where we started. If you're going to take a stand on a social issue, you've got to make sure you can deliver on that stand. It aligns most importantly with the values of the employees because you can never try to you know, game the marketplace and say, well, 62% of our users like blue, so we're going to make our product blue politically or red politically. So I think the need to do more than just deliver a good product at a fair price has been growing. Getting into this area of social responsibility and being good citizens is new. And it's also really hard to do because it's not something you can say one day and not change you can't change it the next day, and it's really hard to, again, execute. Yeah. And I think what makes it difficult for a lot of companies, too, is that it goes so deep, right? Like you, you brought up the values of employees and how does it connect to actual business practices. And this information is largely readily available, and there are people who who want to dig that deep. They want to understand the connections between what the brand is putting out versus, you know, the culture that they're creating inside because it matters to them. So I, I think that's where it gets it gets very, very complex, right? Yeah, I, I've, I've commented often that I think the first place to start is to make sure what you're doing aligns with how your employees feel. Because it's really hard to see what's going on in the marketplace and change that. But if you're being true to your employees, your employees are going to be happier. If your employees are being happier, they're going to deliver a better experience to your customers. It's been known in the hospitality business forever that it's not so much the fluffing of the pillows that makes a difference is how the employees treat the guests. And now I think the same is applying to every brand. So make sure your values are aligned with what your employees believe. Earlier, a couple of years ago, there was a big brouhaha with Delta. I think they took a stand against, uh, I think it was a Stan was inconsistent with an NRA belief, and lots of their customers were outraged. But the CEO of Delta said, look, this is what's right for our employees. This is, we have, you know, 40,000 employees or 100,000. This is what they believe, and this is what we're going to do. Same thing with FedEx in terms of shipping firearms. And so I think you don't have to worry about trying to say, well, how many customers are going to make happy? If you start with your own employees and make sure your company is behaving in a way that makes them proud and energized to work there, then you're on your way to perhaps having a brand experience that can withstand the huge competitive pressures that are underway right now. Love that. So then, Alan, I have to ask, how does this connect to the tangible stuff, meaning the 
logo, the colors, the content, the site experience, right? Because I feel like even in my personal work, I'm torn in half between the strategy, the underlying messaging, the audience research, and the fundamental core work like we were just talking about before and executing upon it in different ways. So how how do we get from point A to point B? And how can brands and retailers decide, okay, like maybe it is time to refresh and maybe it's time to make sure our visual look and feel and the content we create relates to the work that we're doing internally? Yeah, I think one of the benefits of a logo or changing your name or coming up with a new brand line is that you can only get one simple idea across in in an identity. You can't get five ideas across. And I think a big challenge many companies have is, is simplifying, getting their story really simple and sticky. And if they're very complicated, you can't execute it well. So to some extent, if your logo is not communicating the right thing, and it can only communicate one thing, you know what that is. And now it's a good time to change it because focus and being single-minded is so important. I'll tell a quick old story. If you can get your brand down to a simple idea, you have a better shot of executing it. I, when I was uh, in advertising earlier in my career, I worked on a coffee and uh, did all the research on the coffee, spoke to the client about the coffee while I was better, and I took the creative brief to my creative director and I handed her four pages and said, look at all the information I found about the coffee. It does this, it does this. And and she rips off the corner of the page and said, Alan, when you can put everything you want in this little scrap of paper here, come back. And I think that's true today, that if you can get your brand to stand in FedEx case for absolute certainty or, you know, whatever it is, get focused, get simple. And yes, if it's not being reflected in your identity, or if you feel like yesterday's <laughs> Oldsmobile, change it. Because consumers, the other big trend going on that we haven't touched on is that there's so much information overload. People are just flipping channels in their heads every three or four seconds. So if you if you don't use your three to eight seconds wisely and say, here I am, here's what's different, here's what I should care, and you start rambling and floundering, people have already mentally flipped the channel on you, double-clicked. And identities like that. If people look at you and they glance at you and they don't get the right feeling, the right sense that they want to learn more, if it just doesn't feel right, they're going to double click. And so it's if you can't get the core elements right, it doesn't matter what you tell them back to my creative brief story on page three of the email. <laughs> you know, if you don't get them in the headline, and then the first, it's the way all newspaper articles, they taught you how to write newspaper articles. Start with the most important thing and then get to the details afterwards. So if in the first paragraph of a news article, you have to get everything done. What happened, who did it, and why? You don't do a long story about what had happened and where it was. and You, know, you, you cut to the chase. And I think getting marketers to cut to the chase is now more important than ever. Yeah. Absolutely agreed. So looking at this through the lens of executive leadership, the ones who may be monitoring brand health, assessing whether adjustments need to be made. I mean, is this something that's best done incrementally and and there are small changes or enhancements along the way? I mean, if we were to break down the best practices for assessing and updating 
brand visuals or, or brand elements. Is that something that exists or does it vary from company to company? It varies. The biggest challenge for most companies when it comes to innovation, I say, we're going to have our new product development day Thursday. We're going to have innovation meetings on Thursday at four. And of course, Thursday at four comes and goes and something else happens. So I think the best brands have a little bit of the uh, famous quote from the former chairman of Intel, only the paranoid survive. They are worried every day that they are becoming irrelevant. <laughs> and you're better off making lots of incremental changes and optimizing than polishing your stone in the closet for three years. And then, ta-da, it comes out and you realize you missed the wave. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and you research. I mean, many companies have had thoughts about innovation and they were testing it and they couldn't get agreement on things. So I think the best approach is to do small changes and keep changing and stay relevant as opposed to leave your identity unchanged forever and then try to make a big change because consumers don't like it. They'll say, well, what happened there? And there's so many cases of that. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, I feel like a big part of that is listening to your customer, which we've talked about a few times over the course of this conversation. But I can't help but think about, is it best to try and be one step ahead of the customer or focusing on what your brand, so our point earlier, focusing on what your brand can do well and be a reliable source of. So I guess, what's that balance between adapting to what customers need now versus, okay, this is what we do really well. We can be reliable in this area. So let's let's stick to this. I mean, is there a way to do both? Yeah, of course, uh, there probably is. But I, the other thing to keep in mind when you, when you when I hear you talk is that Really, by the time a customer comes to you and tells you they're not interested in you anymore, you're old and boring, and it's too late. By the time sales go down, it's too late to make a change. So rarely do customers, they can't see around the corner. You have to go to them and say, we're changing here. Find the edge of the table and maybe pull back a little bit. <laughs> but if you wait for them to come to you and say, well, I find you're a little dated and stuff. You know, we I was doing a piece of research many years ago for Pizza Hut. And if you ask consumers, do you like the pizza? Yeah, it was good. Yeah, it's cheese. Yeah. And lots of you who spent forever in the consumer group saying, yeah, but I like Pizza Hut. It's, it's good. And then somebody said, uh, well, if Pizza Hut went away, what, what would you feel? Oh, I just go right to Popeye's. They didn't care. <laughs> so, in other words, even though they were saying they were pretty happy, they weren't. They were just all right. They were creatures of habit. So, you can't rely on consumers to tell you when it's time to change. You have to go to them and say, here's a new shirt I'm wearing. What do you think? Now, if they say, I hate it, I don't like it, well, then you have to maybe slow down a bit. But if you ask them, do you like my purple shirt? They'll probably say yes, even though in their head they're thinking, boy, does, does that look like a, an old shirt? So don't wait for your customers to tell you to move. You help them, and they'll prevent you from going too fast. But if you're constantly pushing them, you're better off than waiting for them to tell you, you know, that purple shirt is a little yesterday, because by the time you get that feedback, it's over. Yeah. Okay. That, that's a really good distinction, Alan. Thank you. So I do, since we're coming off at, at the end of our time together, I do want to make sure that we talk about 
at least one really solid best in class example of this underlying theme of pivoting, adapting um, that that we've been talking about over the course of our conversation. Can you share an example of, of a retail or consumer brand that you think has shifted ahead really well and not just pivoted during the pandemic, because I think we, we've talked about that a lot beyond this conversation, but on, on our publication as well. But I mean, in, in this time that we're in now, as things start to open back up, as consumer spending behaviors start to pick back up, is there a brand that you think has shifted ahead really well? I think they're the ones you probably know. I mean, I, I, I we followed Marriott for a while. And I think even today, coming out of the pandemic, even though travel is going to be probably the last thing to come back in some form or a different form or a big form. I think they're getting it. When you check in now, you they now this technology they have for a while. You don't need you don't go to the front desk anymore. Your phone opens the door. If you don't want housekeeping, you just enter on your phone. Don't come until I'm out of the room. They know you're out of the room because your phone's out of the room. So they've been able to adapt pretty fast to a, probably the, the worst part of the pandemic. And it's because they were developing and innovating all along that have allowed them to do that. So I think those are the best, the brands that everyone talks about, and including Amazon. You know, Amazon is probably gone through the roof now, but if there's one thing I've noticed, that if it took two days to get something on Amazon before the pandemic, it takes eight hours now. <laughs> so I think those are the brands that, the ones that have been agile, flexible, and quick to change are brands that will be around for a long time. Yep, 100%. So I know you're a busy man. I really appreciate you taking the time out and kind of walking through some of the um, things you've been tracking, some best practices. Are there any closing takeaways that you want to share? Like if we were to kind of summarize our conversation to a few pointed action items or next steps for executives that are looking to zig while others are zagging and finding ways to pivot and capitalize on new opportunities. I mean, what are some imperatives right now? I would say uh, C and Cs. See things that you ordinarily do. Don't get your nose buried in emails and reading and seeing in front of a computer. Zoom out a bit. Get out of your bubble. Talk to different people. Meet different people. Go to different places when travel becomes possible again. And try to see things happening by zooming out. And seize it means don't just, well, one day we're going to try something. Maybe we should do an innovation group on Tuesday and next week. Do it. Try it. You're better off to try it and fail than to constantly be debating in uh, conference rooms or Zoom calls. So C and Cs. Look, keep looking. Look out the sides. Get some peripheral vision. But don't just talk about it. Move fast. Seize on what you're seeing. Awesome, Alan. Well, this was a fantastic conversation. Really appreciate you taking the time out to share your thoughts and your experiences. It was a great conversation. Thank you again. Thanks for inviting me. It was fun being with you. And uh, to all of you, if you have any follow-up questions that you want us to relay to Alan, feel free to get in touch with us on Twitter at our touchpoints or through LinkedIn at Retail Touchpoints. We'd love to keep these conversations going. It is such a exciting and, and fast-changing time for marketing and branding. And, and frankly, it's something that I love talking about. So hope to keep the conversation going with you. And as always, if you want to be in the loop when these new chats are available, please 
please subscribe. We're on basically all podcast players, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. That way you can get updates directly to your smartphone and listen in on these candid conversations. Thanks again to Alan and to all of you. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.